something remarkable happened. And he wrote these words, which were later put to music, which you know by heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton was a hell-bound wretch, had done much to grieve his maker, but he had a unique, remarkable experience with God, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. I want us to meet another man today who was if not equal to, much worse than John Newton. As we're continuing to talk about returning to the Lord with all of our heart, I want you to turn with me or follow along with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses about a man named Manasseh. There was probably never a more wicked man or a more wicked king of Israel or Judah than this man was. So let's listen to the description of how evil he was. Second Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 10. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals, that is, the false god, and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. First, Second Kings 21 verse 16 also records a little bit about his life, and I'm just going to actually the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides his sin by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So here is a wicked, wicked man. But Manasseh too, like John Newton, had a remarkable experience with God. And we keep reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and we hear how God got his attention. In verse 10 it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and the people, but they would not listen. 
But verse 11 says that God brought judgment upon him, and he took him bound with hooks and bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now let's pick up with verse 12. Now when he was in affliction, that is Manasseh, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and he received, that is God received his entreaty or his prayer. And heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So Manasseh had this experience where he was the most wicked, vile king that Judah had ever seen. And God humbled him and then he cried out to God for mercy and God heard him and God restored him. He returned back to God. So this morning, what I want us to understand is that there are people in this world, maybe some of you who are listening and watching, who feel like you are so far from God, you've done something so bad, so wicked, and you've done it for so long that God wouldn't have you back. Well, see, here's the problem with that, is that's it's what you're saying about God. See, you may not take somebody back who wronged you that way, but you're saying that, that God is like you are. Well, God is so much better than you are. God is a God of great mercy. His mercies are everlasting. You cannot exhaust the mercies of God. So it's, a, it's almost a, a blasphemy to say that God won't forgive me because God says I'm ready to forgive anyone. So the question is today is how does a person who is far from God, how do they return back to God? Now today is the last message in this return with all your heart series. Not We've got one more step to, or one more little mini-series in this whole series with all of our heart, but this is the last message in return to the Lord with all your heart. And it's going to wrap everything up. It's going to bring everything down to what we all need to do to return to God. And it's right here out of the life of Manasseh. So what is it? dear friend, that you need to do to return back to God with all of your heart. What are God's terms for receiving us back to himself? You know, God has terms of receiving us back to himself. We can't just come any old way, but he does have terms. Let's look at them. Right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, first of all, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. First of all is heed God's warnings. Listen to the Word of God. Pay attention to what God is saying. The very fact that you're listening today or watching today is you're hearing God's warnings because God has a warning. If you don't repent, if you don't turn back to Him, then verse 11 is going to happen. What happened? The Lord, they wouldn't listen, so the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks, that is, with a ring through his nose. Basically, they put rings and they tied a rope to it, and they drug him that way, like you would a, a, a bull or a, a pig in some way, and, and drug him like an animal, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. See, so we have to heed God's warnings. If you don't want to end up like that, then heed God's warnings. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is seek God. Look at verse 12. Now, when Manasseh was in affliction, he sought the Lord his God. You see, we need to seek God. We talked the second mini-series in this big series with all of our heart was seek the Lord with all of our heart. So I'm not going to go over all that, but I want to give you three things. What does it mean? How can you seek God 
with all your heart. When you're apart from him, when you have, have sinned against God, maybe greatly or often or for many years, how can you seek God again? Well, I can tell you what you're going through because every sinner, every, even every believer who sins goes through the same thing. Great guilt and, and, and great hatred for yourself. You think, I, how could I ever have done that? We talked about that the, day after, the Sunday after Easter with Peter. We think, God's not going to have me back. God won't forgive me. That's all lies of the devil that you're believing. And it's blasphemy against the holy God because God will forgive you. So that how we feel is we feel like we're distant from God. We feel like we can't enter God's presence. We feel like we can never do anything to please God again or be at peace with God. So let me tell you what it means to seek God when you're in that position. First of all, you need to pursue his presence again. You say, well, I feel too dirty. I can't be in God's presence. He's holy, and I'm so unholy. Listen, you were unholy the day you were born. Your sin didn't make you any more holy or unholy. You're, you were unholy the day you were born. You say, how can, that, I, how can that sweet little grandbaby of mine, how can that sweet little baby of mine be unholy? Well, he is. She is. You just wait till they turn two. You'll see how unholy they really are. They're unholy. We're all having a sin nature. And, and, and God wants us in his presence. You remember Adam and Eve sinned. And, and, and Adam and Eve took the fruit that God said, don't eat. They took it. They realized they were naked. They were ashamed. And what did they do? They hid themselves. We talked about that the very first message of this Return to God series. And what did God do? They were hiding from God. What did God do? God came looking for them. Not that he didn't know where they were, but God wanted them back in his presence, just like God wants you back in his presence. So to seek the Lord means seek his presence again. Come back to him. Yes, and bring all your stupid, filthy mess with you. Bring it with you and lay it at his feet. You don't hide it. You bring it with you. Say, Lord, here's all this junk. Here's everything that I've ever done that's wrong. And I'm giving it to you because only God can deal with it. If you, as long as you cover it up, he can't deal with it. As long as you hide it, he can't deal with it. You need to lay it out. Give it to him. You see what he's already done with it? The Bible says he took all of our iniquities and laid it on his son, Jesus Christ. Look up Isaiah 53, 6. That's what it says. Seek his presence. Number two, he, uh, seeking God means to seek his pleasure. You feel like you've disappointed God that you can never please him again. Yes, you can. God desires to be us to be in his presence, and being in his presence brings him pleasure. Seek his pleasure. Seek to please him once again with your life. You can. Through your you know what pleases God? Is repentance. Repentance pleases God. That's what Manasseh did. And we'll see at the end of this message how two other kings did the same thing, which were both wicked kings. But when they repented, it brought pleasure to God. Yeah, your sin displeases God, but your repentance pleases Him. As long as you stay in your sin, you're displeasing Him. But if you'll repent of that sin, you're pleasing Him. Number three, how do you seek God? Seek His peace. Seek peace with God. You see... What sin does is it causes our fellowship to be broken with God and we feel at odds with God, that he's our enemy now. We can't be in his presence, we can't please him, and so we're enemies. Well, listen, God sent Jesus Christ 
The Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is our peace. He, he's the Prince of Peace. All of our sins was, were, were put upon Jesus Christ so that you and I could have peace with God through Him. And, and the sin was dealt with, so now we can have a one-on-one relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Pursue His peace. So we need to do what Manasseh did. Heed God's warning. Seek the Lord. And then look what else it said in verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he sought the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. We need to humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves. Yes, we feel terrible when we sin. Or we feel condemned. But God doesn't condemn. Remember what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery? Neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. But what we need to do is be like that woman caught in adultery. She would not even, and and like the, the publican in the temple, wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. We need to humble ourselves before God. Listen to what the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 28. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Psalm And verse 18 and verse 27 says pretty much the same thing. For you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty looks. And James in chapter 4, verse 6 and 10 says, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so he says in verse 11, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 says the same thing. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. What does it mean to humble yourself before God? It means that you don't wait for God to humiliate you like he had to do with Manasseh. Sometimes if we won't humble ourselves and we continue on in our sin, even to the point of saying, you know what, the reason I'm going to keep going this way is because I've done it so long, that's my lifestyle, or uh, I've done it so uh, often or uh, so deeply, so badly, and, and God won't have me back, so I might as well just keep going this way. Then, then that's pride, that's stubbornness. It's like a mule. You can't get them to do anything that you want them to do. And God says, and what God's going to have to do, like he did with Manasseh, he's going to have to humble you. And, and many times when God humbles us, it's humiliation. Don't wait for that moment like it had to happen in Manasseh's life. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Say, God, I am guilty. I am undone. I am unfit. I am unworthy. But I'm coming to you. I'm humbling myself. I've, I've uh, disobeyed you. What we see here in Manasseh's life is that he humbled himself before the Lord, his God. He humbled himself greatly before the Lord, his God, the God of his fathers. And that's what you and I must do. The next thing he's, we see here in verse 13 is he prayed. Verse 13 said, and, and Manasseh prayed to him. And God received his prayer and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem. God is, will hear your prayer. He'll always hear the prayer of a repentant sinner. You think God won't ever listen to you again because of what you've done or how long you've done it. Listen, there was no king more greater or, or worse 
than Manasseh. Now, we're going to read a little bit more about another king who sounded just as bad and may have been equally as bad, but, but this king was one of the worst kings in all of Judah. Killed his own sons in the fire to a false god. Desecrated the temple of God with idols. And here he is, humbling himself before God. Here he is praying to God, and God hears his prayer, and God answers his prayer. See, if we're going to return to God with all of our heart, we've got to seek him. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to pray. Now, what do we do when we pray? Well, the first thing we need to do when we pray is confess our sin. You know what 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says. Very familiar passage says, If we say that we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what are you saying about God when you say God won't forgive me? You're saying God's unfaithful when the Bible says he's faithful, and that makes you a liar. That means you're listening to the father of lies. That means you're of the devil. Now, you can't be listening to the word of God and heeding the word of God and listening to the devil at the same time. So quit listening to the devil. The devil says God won't forgive you. God says I will if you're repentant and if you pray, if you confess your sin to me. If you'll confess your sin to the Lord, humble yourself. God says I am faithful. I will forgive you and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's powerful. What else do we need to pray? Well, we need to pray and acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives look what he says in verse 13 and Manasseh prayed to him and he and God heard his prayer heard his supplication brought him back to Jerusalem back to his kingdom then Manasseh knew that the Lord was who he said he was that the Lord was God you see when when you receive that forgiveness from God When you humble yourself, you seek the Lord, you pray, you ask God to forgive you, you confess your sin, and you receive that forgiveness. You claim the Word of God. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling that you're waiting to feel. It's it's an act of faith saying, God said it. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to receive this forgiveness. And then you come to understand, hey, God is who He said He is. He is sovereign over my sin. That is, He is the God of mercy. He is the God of grace. He's the God of compassion. He will forgive if I ask Him to. And then the last step we see in this passage, we talked about heeding God's warnings, seeking God, humbling ourselves before God, praying to God. Well, look at verses 14 through 19. And we'll see that Manasseh repented and returned to God. It says, after this, Manasseh built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gahan in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and, enclosed, and it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He removed all the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord that he had put in there, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also rebuilt the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed they're written in the book of the kings of Israel. Also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass and the sights 
where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of his people. So I want you to notice three things here about his repentance. First of all, he removed that which led to his separation from God. Look at verse 15. He removed the foreign gods. Remember over here in in verse 7 that he set up carved images in the house of God? Well, now he's removing those things. That which caused the stumbling block, he took it out of his life. If you're going to come back to God, if you're going to repent, you've got to get rid of the junk in your life that's causing you to stumble and, and, and get rid of it. Remove it far from you. God said in 1 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 3, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you, and prepare your heart for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you. So we have to remove that which keeps us from returning to God with all of our heart. What are the idols in your life? You know, last Sunday, I challenged us to begin thinking, what is it that God wants to remove for good? A lot of the things he's taken out of our our lives for the last couple of months, maybe he doesn't want those things put back in. Maybe some of those things he wants removed for good, and it would be a sin and a shame for us to put them back into place. And, and, and that which has caused us to stumble, that which has caused families to stumble, all this busyness and hecticness, and if we go right back to it, then that's a sin. We're not removing those things. We can't return to God with those things in our lives. And some of the things are not evil things. Some of the things are good things. They're just not the best things. So if we're going to repent and return to God, we've got to remove those things and keep them out. You see, here's what one author said. It is not the darkness that blocks your vision so much as is what is between you and God. Let me ask you this morning, what's between you and God? Get rid of it. Simple as that, get rid of it. Whatever it is, you know what it is. You know what's between you and God. Get rid of it. If you're going to return to Him with all your heart, you cannot have that. Remove it. That's what Manasseh did. Secondly, in his returning to God... He restored that which he had neglected. Look at verse 16. He repaired the altar of the Lord. He rebuilt it. He restored it. He had neglected the altar of the Lord for the altar of idols. Some of you have been worshiping at the wrong altar. And you've neglected the family altar. You've neglected the word of God. You've neglected prayer. You've neglected in reading and studying the word of God and leading your family to God through the scriptures and prayer. Well, it's time to rebuild that. It's time to restore that. Renew that in your life. Manasseh's grandson, if we kept reading into chapter 34, Manasseh's grandson was Josiah. Josiah brought the people back to the Word of God. Look at verse 29 through 32 of chapter 34. Then the king, that is Josiah, sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. You see, they had lost touch with the scriptures. All these years, the the book of the the law, the, the, the scriptures that they had was lost because all these kings were doing their own thing and they had neglected the word of God. And then the king stood, verse 31, and made a covenant. He read the law, then he renewed a covenant with them, with the Lord, to follow his word, to keep his commandments. And then in verse 32, he required all the people to 
Start following the Lord. And maybe that's what you and I need to do. To return to the Lord with all of our heart, we've got to remove that which led to our separation from God, but we've got to replace that which we've neglected. And many of you have neglected the Word of God. I challenged you last week. I thought about this last week as we were talking, reading the Scriptures. And, and some of you are like chickens. Again, we talked about this last week. You just hunt and peck for your favorite Scriptures. And, and you don't know anything about Malachi. You know very little about the Second Chronicles that we're reading. You don't know the lives and, and the stories of, of these kings. And the Bible says in the New Testament that all these things were written for our admonition. But y'all haven't read all these things. A lot of you haven't. Some of you have, but a lot of you haven't. And you need to restore the Word of God back into your life, back into your family, back into your home. And not just reading it, but as I read this morning about Ezra, he committed his life to reading the Word of the law, obeying the Word, and proclaiming, teaching the Word. And that's what we need to do as followers of Christ. We need to read it and study it. We, we need to obey it, and we need to share it with our families and with our people that we love. If we're going to return to the Lord, we've got to restore that which we've neglected. And thirdly, how did Manasseh return or repent? It says here in verse 30, chapter 33, verse 14, he rebuilt the walls around the city of David, raised it up to a very great height, and he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He rebuilt what was torn down. That is, he rebuilt his spiritual fortifications. He rebuilt the fences, the guards, the hedges. Some of us, all of us, I think, need to build some hedges around our lives. We need to say that there are certain things we will not do, and we're going to make sure we won't do them. I'll give you an example. In order to protect my life from moral failure, I, try, I, I use accountability with my wife. And there are certain things I will not do. I will not meet with a woman by myself in my office with the door closed. I will not do it. That's a hedge I build up. I will not do that because I do not want any hint of wrongdoing on either party. I don't want there to be any words spoken about any inappropriateness. And so that's one of the hedges I build. There are certain things that you need to build up. I will not Watch these kinds of shows on television. I will not visit these kind of sites on the Internet. I will build these walls and these hedges, these spiritual fortifications, because those were the things that tripped me up in the first place. I will not do that. I will cut off associations that I know are ungodly and lead me and tempt me, friendships or, or, or relationships that, that I have no business being involved in. If we're going to repent and return to God, we've got to remove that which led to our separation, restore that which we've neglected, and rebuild that which was torn down. Now, does, do these things, listen to again to what Manasseh did. He sought God. He humbled himself. He prayed, and he repented. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it ought to. 2 Corinthians Chronicles 7.14. That's the prescription. We see it right here in chapter 33. But God already said it in chapter 7. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. This is God's terms for returning to Him. You can't return to Him any other way. You can't return to Him your own way. you got to return on His terms. These are His terms right out of the Scriptures. Over and over He shows us that. God responds mercifully to repentant and humble people. Look at chapter 30 of Second Chronicles, verse 6 through 9. It says, Hezekiah, by the way, was, the, was Manasseh's father. 
And Hezekiah sent runners throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his leaders. And he spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Now listen to verse 9. For if you return to the Lord, you, your brethren, and your children will be treated with compassion. For God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Hear God's word. God is saying to you, I will not turn from you if you turn to me. That's a promise. God responds mercifully and repentant to, mercifully to repentant and humbled people. Listen to Jeremiah 3, 12. Return, backsliders. I will, call, I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Verse 22, return, you backsliders, and I will heal your backslidings. Now, remember I told you I was going to tell you about two more kings briefly as we're wrapping this up. Who, like Manasseh, were pretty bad characters. One is in 1 Kings verse, chapter 16. Read you a little bit about his life, what it says about him. His name was Ahab. And it says that um, in verse 30, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it says that um, he married Jezebel, which y'all probably know a little bit about her. She was the um, daughter of uh, Ethbel of the Sidonians, a foreigner, a pagan. And she served Baal and worshipped him, and she led Ahab to do the same. Ahab set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal. Ahab made wooden images. It says Ahab in verse 33 did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So this is a bad, bad dude. Now we come to uh, chapter 21 of 1 Kings. And here's what it says. God sent Elijah, the prophet, to confront Ahab and his wickedness. And he says... There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And then before that, Elijah had pronounced judgment upon Ahab and his house. And here's what, it happened. Here's what happened to Ahab. So it was, verse 27, when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his sons, I will bring the calamity on his house. So you see how God responded mercifully when Ahab humbled himself? God doesn't want you to continue to wallow in the pity of your sin. He wants you to get up 
and turn away from that sin. Humble yourself and return back to him, and he will respond mercifully. There's one more king I want to highlight out of 2 Kings. As you can tell, I've been studying the kings of Israel and Judah. But in 2 Kings chapter 13, we meet a king by the name of Jehoahaz. And it says in verse 2, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he followed the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel sin. Verse 3, The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. But verse 4, So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Assyria oppressed him. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so they escaped under, from under the hand of the Syrians. So you see, God responds mercifully, and he will for you too. He's waiting for you to respond the way we've talked about. Humble yourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. But if you don't, if you don't, you have to hear what happens in chapter 36. In chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles, God, the only time God does not respond mercifully is to proud and stubborn people. Verse 12, Zedekiah became king and said, He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself. He rebelled, verse 13, against King, of Neb Neb uh, against king Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God. He stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God they despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people and there was no remedy. In other words, there was nothing God could do then. You see, if you don't follow God's prescription, God's terms of returning to him, there's nothing God can do to save you. There's nothing God will do to save you. But if you will follow his terms, follow his prescriptions, heed his warnings, humble yourself, seek him, pray, and repent and return then God says, I will respond mercifully. He will do nothing without that. But once you do, he will return to you with all his heart, just as he's asking us to return to him with all of our heart. Let's pray together. Father, I know that there are people who are watching and listening today who needed to hear this message. People who've wandered far from you, people who've set up idols in their lives. And Lord, in the last couple of months, you've forced us to remove some of those idols. And God, I pray that we wouldn't put them back in place when this is all over. God, I know that there are people watching and listening who have sinned so greatly in their own eyes and before you. And they feel so lost and so guilt-ridden that they loathe themselves completely. And perhaps they've said to themselves that you would never forgive them. You would never have them back. But Lord, today they have heard your word 
that you will. That you will readily forgive them. You will pour out your mercy and pardon upon them if they will follow the path back to you. Would you please help them to heed this warning today? Would you please help them to humble themselves before you and to pray, confessing their sins, acknowledging that you are God who will forgive? Lord, would you help them to seek your pleasure, to seek your presence, to seek peace with you, and help them to repent and return to you with all their heart? And I know, Lord, that if they will do that, they will find a gracious and merciful, forgiving, loving, compassionate, heavenly Father with arms open wide. May they not commit the sin of blasphemy against you, saying that you will not forgive or that you cannot forgive. Lord, they're talking about their own heart. Because, Lord, when we have wronged others or others have wronged us the way we have wronged you, that's how we react. But, Lord, that's not how you react. Thank you, God, for being who you are. And I pray, Lord, for those who need to make this step, these steps. I pray that they'd do it today. They'd not postpone it another moment. That as soon as we conclude this service, and even now, that they would begin their journey back to you with all their heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Mm-hmm.